Good morning, Grace Church. Yeah, that's a, that's a little different, isn't it? How are you guys doing? Just a quick intro about who I am and why you're hearing from me this morning. Um, my name is Brad Fuqua. My wife, Summer, and I and our two kids, Ethan and Addie Kate, uh, we moved to Durango six years ago. And we've been here at Grace as a part of this church for about five and a half of those years. And um, I'm blessed to get to serve, honored to get to serve on the elder team here at Grace. And uh, so that's uh, why I'm speaking to you this morning, just filling in for Justin while he's out on sabbatical. If you've been watching online or if you've been here, you know Justin, he's been out for the last few weeks. And so we've been filling in for him. And uh, Justin, we've been praying for you and just hope this time has been a blessing so that you can come back and bless us as a church. Um, Let's just address, let's just address this. This is a little odd standing here preaching to a handful of people that were just playing for you. Uh, the thing I wish you could see at home that you can't see is right here on these first rows of chairs, they've actually taped pictures of some of our members. Uh, so I can look out and see a picture of uh, Justin Ross and all his bald beauty. And uh, I can look over here and see a picture of my wife and my son. So even though people aren't here physically in the building, uh, it's great to be able to see faces of members of Grace Church, and I just trust that you're watching online. Um, so for the last three weeks, um, actually, let me say one other thing. I'm not a preacher. Uh, I'm a computer nerd by trade. I get paid to sit behind a desk and click the keys and do all kinds of fun uh, stuff with databases. And uh, But before I came here to uh, Durango in my previous job, I actually did a lot of traveling and training and installation and training of customers on using software. And so what I always told them was um, if I said something and nobody responded or asked a question or nobody asked questions during the class, uh, if I didn't get any feedback, I just thought everything I said was brilliant and we were all on the same page and that I had done a tremendous job. So I'm probably the best suited person for this situation today just because I'm going to pretend uh, that you all agree with me anyway, even if this room is full. Uh, that's just the way I work. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll just pretend I hear laughter when I say a joke like that, too. That's the other thing that's amazing. I just heard this uproarious laughter in my head. So um, thank you very much. Um, so just to recap, we've been talking about, uh, in this series, everything. We've been talking about our vision for Grace Church, imperfect people, leveraging everything from those far from Jesus. So in the first week, we got to hear from Kyle Hansen, one of our other elders. And Kyle shared about how God's been teaching him and leading him in his life and how he's really been turning his life upside down and just teaching him to give it all up. Uh, and we've seen how Kyle and leading his business, how that's played out in his life and how that's still playing out. So it was a real blessing to hear Kyle talk about that surrender. And Keith and also talked about surrender that day and what it means to live in a place of overflow and abundance and surrender. Um, last week, Travis, our in-house engineer, took us through the idea of leverage and focused on, in our, in our vision statement, what that idea of leverage looks like, how it actually works. I'm not a physics or engineering guy like he is, so that was pretty cool just to, just to see um, how our small acts, through that act of leverage, can uh, turn into amazing works by God. Um, I have experienced leverage most often in my garage when I'm uh, working on my Jeep and I strip a bolt uh, accidentally. That's about the best experience of leverage I have, and it's not the good kind of leverage. <laughs> it's, it's gone too far. Excuse me. Um, 
So this week, I want to focus on our vision statement, imperfect people leveraging everything for those far from Jesus. We're going to talk about everything today. So let's pray as we get started. Father, we do thank you for the chance just to gather. Even if we don't physically gather, uh, we thank you for the the chance to virtually gather uh, through our live stream. Father, to come together and to have the freedom to to talk about your word uh, when times are stressful, when times are crazy, when times are confusing. Uh, Father, we're just thankful we can turn to you. Father, I pray this morning you'll pour pour through me the gift of preaching. I pray that uh, the work I've done in preparation, Father, if it's the wrong things to say, I pray you'll put the words in my mouth. Uh, Father, if if, uh, if you will, just speak through me this morning, through your spirit. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. So imperfect people leveraging everything for those far from Jesus. So one of our core values here at Grace is transparency. And so as an elder, I figure I should demonstrate that if I can. And so I do have a confession to make right out of the gate this morning. I'm not a big vision or mission person. Um, I don't make New Year's resolutions every year. Uh, I rarely set goals for myself. I have set a couple of health goals in the last couple of years, trying to lose some weight and be more active. But that was mainly reactionary. That was mainly because I had high blood pressure. And it was like, okay, it's time to step it up and do something. All my pants are getting too small. Um, I actually had a doctor tell me I was morbidly obese. And so those words are pretty stark when you hear them. Uh, obese, I get. Morbidly obese? Yeah, by the books, morbidly obese. And so I'm not a big goal person, except usually out of reaction, right? Um, so when Grace, back in 2017, started going through this effort to really review our leadership and think about what our mission and vision was and set that, um, I was happy to speak into it. Um, I was involved in a group that got to have some input into that vision, but it's kind of funny. I went back and found some emails um, where I'd offered criticism. I had offered other thoughts to that vision. Um, I was probably overly critical of it. But I also found an email where I told Justin, um, Justin, what I see in you is a passion for the gospel to reach this area. What I see in you is a passion for our church to not just play church, but to really be the church and the light in this world. So whatever vision you want to set, I'm behind you, right? I'm behind you as a leader, and I'm behind that passion that I see in his life as he's living. So there are some people that are really driven by visions and missions. Me, when I look at this statement, I just, I just feel overwhelmed. Imperfect people leveraging everything for those far from Jesus It's just such a huge goal, everything. It's intimidating. It's overwhelming. It's just daunting. In fact, it makes me want to just come to this place of paralysis. Where do I start? What do I do? What does everything look like? And, you know, last week, Travis talked about leveraging, and he talked about in Exodus, the story of Moses where he goes out and strikes a rock with his staff and water comes out. And the Israelites have water when they're in the desert. You know, you... You hear stories like that in the Bible, and um, I think they're sometimes hard to connect with because they're so, they're so miraculous. They're so uh, beyond what I experience on a day-to-day basis, right? They can be honestly hard to believe at times. And if you, if you look at Moses in Exodus, you know, if you, if you actually back up through Exodus, man, Moses experienced some pretty amazing things in his life, you know, if we take him as an example. 
you know, Travis talked about in Exodus 14 when the Israelites are fleeing Egypt. You know, they, they get led by Moses through the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground. If you get back in Exodus 7, there's Moses before Pharaoh, and he's telling him to let the people go. And Pharaoh's refusing, and there's these ten plagues that God unleashes on the people. And throughout Moses' life, uh, there's, there's just these incredible, miraculous events. And as much as I would love to have experienced something like that, I can't stand here today and say I have. So it's a little hard to connect with those sometimes. I mean, Moses had a staff that he threw on the ground and it turned into a snake. And then Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing, but Moses' snake ate the other snakes, right? I mean, I don't, I don't uh, experience that kind of stuff in my day-to-day life. It's just hard to connect with. Uh, what I can connect with in Moses, though, is if we, if we do go back a little further in Exodus, when Moses is being called, uh, so God is telling Moses to go and set the people free. And I'm going to pick up in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Moses said to God, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, this is, this is Moses' response to God. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now that I can relate to, right? I feel a nudging from God. Hey, God, who am I to do that? Who am I to be up here speaking today? I'm a computer nerd. There's a lot of better speakers in this congregation. I'm sure of it. But here I am. Um, who am I to go is what Moses says. And what's God respond with in verse 12? I will be with you, and this shall be your sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses doesn't give up, and I can still relate to this, right? <laughs> verse 13. Yeah, God, okay. Who am I going to tell them sent me? Right? And what's God reply? Tell them I am. Tell them I'm the one that sent you. Okay, cool, God. You got it. Down in chapter 4, though, Moses, I can relate to this. Not quite there yet. What if they don't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? Well, Moses, take that staff. Throw it down. It'll become a snake. Take your hand. Put it in your cloak. Pull it out. It'll be leprous. Put it back in. It'll be clean again, right? I mean, here we are now. Moses is seeing this power right there in his very own hands, the power of God. But he keeps going, right? Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past or even now that you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. God, I'm not a very good speaker. Are you sure I'm the right guy? Let's Moses get the answer from God. I will be your mouth. And then finally, in chapter 4, verse 13, just says, God, can you send somebody else? I think that'd be best. So here's Moses. He's, he's been talking to God. He's throwing the staff down. He's had the leper's hand. He's seen these things. This is the Moses I can relate to, right? Are you sure, God? Is it really me? I'm not that good at this. I'm not sure I'm the right person. God gets angry here, but he does give in and say, okay, Aaron will go with you. He will be your mouth. I don't know for you listening at home. Maybe it's all Grace Church people. Uh, maybe you've heard these stories. But maybe this is the first time you're tuning in with us. Maybe you're not even sure about Jesus. Maybe you're not even sure about the Bible. Maybe you've never heard of Moses. You probably have. 
Um, but that's, I just want to say, um, the very first part of our mission and vision, excuse me, is imperfect people. And just because I'm standing up here on this stage, it doesn't make some of these things any harder to understand or believe or even connect with. Right? Just because we profess a faith in Christ doesn't give us the supernatural ability to suddenly comprehend and understand all these things going on in Scripture. And if you're like me, and maybe you connect with this earlier part of Moses' life more than the latter, the good news is there's lots of examples throughout the Bible of people who didn't get it, they doubted, they questioned God, or they outright turned away from his leading. The Bible is full of imperfect people. And that's one thing I love about our vision is that's, that's us. So we can walk right into that tradition from Scripture. So some other examples, and we'll just kind of talk through these. I'm going to paraphrase these uh, just kind of quickly, the stories. But uh, Judges 6, Gideon, right? An angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, you're going to be a mighty warrior. You're going to deliver the people from the Midianites. Uh, Gideon says, but if the Lord was with us, why does all this bad stuff happen in the first place? Right? Where are all these wonderful deeds my ancestors talked about? How can I deliver Israel? God, I'm going to need you to show me a sign. So he's talking to this angel of the Lord. He prepares a meal. The angel burns it up. Right? That'd be pretty cool. If I had an angel of the Lord come, I'd probably, uh, if I saw something get burned up by the angel of the Lord, I hope I would respond. Not so much for Gideon, right? He goes right back again. Okay, um, I got this fleece, God. I'm going to lay it on the ground, on the threshing floor. I'm going to test you. If it's wet... And the ground underneath is dry. I know you'll be with me as we deliver Israel. Hey, God, don't get mad, right? God does exactly what Gideon asked. Cool, right? Gideon's happy. Nope. Hey, God, tonight, can we reverse that? Can we do that same thing? I'm going to lay this fleece out. Uh, Let's keep the fleece dry. Maybe get the ground wet underneath the fleece. Then I'll really believe, right? I can relate to that one. Even if you go back to Genesis, right? Here's Sarah and Abraham. Uh, They're old in age. An angel visits, says they're going to have a son. Sarah laughs at this. So much so that the angel questions about it, right? Who was laughing? Not it, not me. That's what uh, Sarah says, right? It's it's one of these moments, though, when it's just you you hear uh, someone reacting to an angel. That's like, that's the way Brad would react if I were there. Um, how about Jonah, right? Another perfect example from Scripture. God called him to go to Nineveh. Jonah runs the other way because he doesn't want to go and proclaim the destruction so that God can be merciful. He wants to go and proclaim the destruction and watch the carnage, right? That sounds like something I could relate to. Sounds pretty cool to watch. Jonah gets mad, runs the other way. Of course, you probably do all know that story. Gets uh, swallowed up by the fish. He finally relents, goes to Nineveh, proclaims the destruction. What do the people do? They turn. They turn back to God. God shows mercy. And what's Jonah do? Gets mad, goes, sits on the hill, waiting to watch the destruction. And he's just having a little pity party, right? Maybe the Old Testament's not your flavor. The good news is, in the New Testament, there's plenty of examples. Anybody heard of the disciples? Yeah? Okay. Those guys got it wrong a lot. Um, at least, you know, I'd love to think if I were there, I might have gotten a little better. Probably wouldn't. Of course, the one, you know, Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Ah, doubting Thomas. I'm not going to believe, Lord. I'm not going to believe in the resurrection unless I can put my fingers 
in the nail holes, unless I can stick my hand in your side. In Jesus, that's exactly what he gives him is the chance to do that, right? So a couple thoughts. When we think of everything and trying to leverage everything, it's huge. And you may feel like you don't get it. And you may feel like, I'm not even sure what to do with this. And that's okay. Because a lot of people in the Bible weren't sure. A lot of people that we look to in Scripture question God. A lot of people brought their doubts and just laid those before the Lord or laid those out to his angels. And God responded. I think God wants that transparency from us. So if you're not all in on this vision, I'm going to be the first to say that's all right. But I don't want to leave you there. right? I want to talk about how can we take this vision and actually act on it. So God's big enough to handle your questions. God's big enough to handle your doubts. So that thought of everything can be overwhelming. So I started thinking for me, looking back at my life, who is it that in my life I saw doing this? We didn't have this vision for our church growing up. But there are a lot of people who leveraged their lives and leveraged their, their time, their money, their energy for me. So I thought it might be helpful just to, just to be practical, to share some stories. People that influenced me and that probably had a direct impact on me standing right here today. Right, so I'm going to tell you some, some stories. I mean, first of all, I have to thank mom and dad. Everybody say hi to mom and dad. They're watching back there in Kentucky. My mom and dad, um, they are people of great faith. They raised my brother and I up in faith. Um, and the thing that's really cool is, and I've shared some of this before, it's, it's a generational faith. We can, we can look back like five or six generations. Actually, I asked, talked to my mom yesterday, all the way back to 1798 when Isham Fuqua was a Baptist preacher. That's pretty awesome, right? 1798. So I'm standing on the shoulders of people who have come before me. Um, my parents, though, they've been faithful. They modeled for my brother and I how to live. They modeled what a life of service to the church meant. Um, they've been married 51 years here in a couple of months. Um, today, they're still very active in the, in the church there in Western Kentucky where they, uh, they helped start a church. Uh, my dad's an elder there. Um, my dad's retired and spends countless hours building beds through an orphan ministry. Uh, building beds. That's, that's the way he is leveraging his retirement. Everything for those far from Jesus. Building beds. It can be as simple as that. Um, some other people growing up. When I was a teenager, um, this guy at our church named Hans. Hans was about eight years older than me, I think, best I can recollect as I was thinking through this. Um, so when I was 14, he was 22. When I was 15, he was 23, somewhere in there, right? So Hans um, is this big guy, and uh, I just looked up to him, right, as an example of, uh, you know, the way you do when you're in youth group and you see these older kids or these young adults in the church. Hans would give up time. Um, when I was a, a fort, let's go ahead. I've got a picture to show you guys. This is, this is uh, I think, eighth grade. Who doesn't want to leverage everything? Yeah. Who doesn't want to leverage everything for that kid? Yeah. I don't know why photographer thought, hey, his eyes are half closed. Let's, that's good enough, right? Um, yeah, so there's young Brad. Hans somehow found time to love that kid, right? Hans had this uh, really big stereo in his car, and he would come and pick me up, and I'd hop in, and we'd go... Uh, once a week to a Bible study for college kids, some of his college friends, and they invited me in to come be a part of that. That was so just 
mind-boggling for me that I was the only little 14-year-old kid sitting around scared to give an answer about anything we're talking about because I didn't want to sound dumb, right, when we're talking about Bible stuff and I'm around all these older kids. But it was, such, it was just one of those things that truly impacted me, right? Hans just giving time, picking me up, taking me to a Bible study, inviting me in. Um, I could tell you about Chuck. Uh, Chuck was another member of our church. We didn't have a full-time youth uh, pastor at our church, uh, so we had a lot of volunteers that filled in. Uh, Chuck was this redheaded guy, just full of energy, um, loved being outdoors, loved rock climbing, loved hiking, camping. He was actually the first guy that took me jeeping when I realized, oh, this is so much fun to drive a vehicle through the woods and go off-road and all this stuff, right? I can thank Chuck for that. Um, Chuck was one of these leaders, though. He would come with us to youth camp, right? I don't, I don't remember any one thing Chuck ever said to me, but I remember the song, Don't Take My Honey Buns, that Chuck made up in the breakfast line as people were coming through picking up their breakfast at youth camp. I remember Chuck spreading these crazy, scary stories. Hey, I hear there's blah, blah, blah in the woods, right? And us kids would go to sleep, and then we'd be laying there in bed, and we'd hear this plink, plink on the roof of the cabin, and Chuck's out in the woods throwing rocks, you know, on the roof of the, of the cabin trying to scare us, right? I mean, Chuck was just that guy. It was always fun. It was always enjoyable to be around Chuck. Um, gave me a job one time over Christmas break when I was home from college. I can tell you about Randy and Carla. Uh, one of my best friends, Derek, that's his parents. And uh, Randy and Carla were just those people that would give you anything. They'd give you the shirt off their back. They just opened their home to me. Um, there was one Christmas I had uh, somebody hit my car and didn't have a car to drive. And I was talking to Randy one I think it was a Wednesday or Sunday, you know, at church or whatever. I'm like, oh, I need to go get my mom a Christmas present. I don't have a car. I want to surprise her. Randy's got this brand-new Chevy Tahoe. Whoosh, throws me the keys, right? 16-year-old kid or 17-year-old kid, you know. Randy's the kind of guy, again, i got to write a term paper. Oh, I bet I can go to Randy and Carla's and use their computer because I didn't have a computer back then. That's how, for those of you watching online, yes, there was a time without computers and everyone didn't have this ability to do what we're doing today. But uh, just generous, generous beyond belief people that would give. I can tell you about Keith. Keith was a, a local dentist. He was one of, again, one of our volunteers, just an amazing Bible teacher who, who helped me see Scripture in a new way, who could bring Scripture to life, right? One of those people that could just help you see a story you'd read before or heard before in flannel graph in Sunday school. He could bring it to life in a new way. Uh, he would host a Bible study or a prayer breakfast for men. And I remember one summer, a couple summers, I was home. Um, Keith would invite me into that. And these grown men confessing their sins, praying together. And again, here I am, a, a young 18-year-old kid sitting there. But it's just the love that they showed, bringing me in. I could talk about Terrell. Terrell was the preacher at our church growing up. And I can't, I can't say enough about for the, uh, for the way Terrell influenced my life. Um, Terrell, I think, saw some potential in me and decided he was going to pour into that. And so as a, a high schooler, he would actually help me plan and prep, and I actually got to lead the youth group, right? I got to teach devotionals on Wednesday nights. It was a, I'm sure, I, I don't know what I said. I would love to be able to go back and see how funny that would be. Um, we will be able to go back and watch this one. It may not be that funny after all. It sounds good, but maybe not. Um, but, but Tara would, you know, intentionally pour into me, and again, gave me the opportunity to do some internships there at our church, and and actually, I, I probably have to thank Terrell as much as anyone for the trajectory my life took because I'm 
in my junior year of college and I'm uh, doing a ministry degree and I, I don't want to be a preacher and I don't want to be a youth minister and I don't want to work full time in the church, but I'm like three years under this degree and I'm just conflicted in my spirit. I just feel this like gnawing, like something's got to change. And I remember sitting down with Terrell and him just talking about the call he felt from God. And, and he said to me, you know, if you can do, if you think you can be happy doing another job, maybe ministry really isn't right for you. Maybe you really should go do something else. What a bold statement for a minister to tell a young kid who's doing a ministry degree, maybe this isn't for you. But I'm so incredibly thankful that he did because that set my life on a path where now I have a career that I really enjoy and get to do work that is really fulfilling. And there's some crazy people that still let me get up and do this kind of stuff. So we kind of got the best of both worlds. But just that that pouring in. I could tell you about... um, some of our good friends in Texas, Calvin and Gail. Oh, Calvin and Gail were, were uh, my wife and I were young married. We were living in Texas. We don't have any family there. And they just, they took us in uh, like they were our parents. Um, they welcomed us into their home to be a part of a small group. Calvin would just whip my tail at ping pong. Uh, he would teach me how to make chili powder and just all kinds of crazy stuff. We spent so many hours in their home. And when we had kids, uh, Calvin is like, I often refer to my wife as the baby whisperer. and The only other person I knew who's right there with her in that is Calvin. Um, and Calvin, I don't know if you'll ever see this, but Calvin's kind of like, I, I would, it's kind of like Yosemite Sam or like a lumberjack like combined. He's like this short, really stocky guy, and he's got this big red beard. And like when you look at Calvin, you're like, I'm not handing my baby to that guy, right? I mean, I, I, I literally, we volunteered in our, our, uh, a nursery at church, and I, I remember seeing like people come to the door for the first time. And I'm like, oh, that guy's taking my baby, you know? Like, really? Uh, but man, he just he loved kids, and he could calm them down uh, when they were upset. And just amazing people. They would host small group, and they would just let my son run around like a hooligan, being a distraction, and never once made us as young parents feel bad about that. Right? They just loved our kids wherever they were. How much noise they were making, it didn't matter. On and on and on and on and on. This list could go. And I could tell you story after story of the people who poured into my life and who brought me to where I am today. So, back to this vision. I've simplified it a little bit. I've changed it a little bit. Imperfect people leveraging blank for those far from Jesus. When I think back about those people I was talking about, what did they leverage? Their time? Their home, their car, their computer, their Jeep, their climbing rope, their hiking gear, their education, their finances. This vision is so huge, and the word everything is so huge, but I just want to redefine that for you this morning to think about what can I leverage? What is it that's in my hand? You know, as we talked about Moses, that's exactly the thing when when he's like, God, I don't know, I don't know. God's like, what's in your hand? And it's a staff, Right? What's in your hand today? What can you leverage for those who are far from Jesus? So I told you I'm an I'm a IT nerd. I'm a data guy. I like to sit back and look at data and look at patterns, and I see those patterns emerging that um, all of those people I talked about, they were being intentional, right? They were intentionally choosing to try to impact my life. That's what living out this vision looks like. If you're waiting for grace to give you some instructions, here's the 10-step plan to live out our vision. It's not going to happen. It's not a program we've implemented. 
It's not a plan you're going to get. We're calling you to try to step into and figure out how, how can I be God's presence to those around me every day. Great opportunity. Here's a plug, right? If you're not sure, if you're thinking, wow, maybe this is simple. Maybe I can do something. You can't. We've got a great opportunity coming here at Grace. We've just hired a new next-gen pastor. Cody and Christina Moore are going to be joining us. And I want to redefine far from Jesus, right? I grew up in faith as a kid in church. I wouldn't have said I was far from Jesus. But these people poured into me. Maybe for you, living out this vision, maybe far from Jesus is not far from our church. Maybe that's people right here. Maybe that's the youth of our congregation that you can walk alongside Cody and Christina and Katie and Keith and all the pastors as they pour into us and we can pour into the youth of our congregation. What would it look like for you to play the role of a Hans or a Chuck or a Terrell in the life of one of our youth here at Grace? Another way to think about this, uh, a New York Times columnist, David Brooks, wrote this uh, in, a, in a book, Road to Character. I haven't read the book, but I saw this, and I thought, ah, that's it. Um, he talks about resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Right? So in your life, what kind of things are you working on? Is it a great job? Is it the big house? Is it a really... I said growing IRA, but that probably doesn't make much sense this week. Is it that tinking IRA? Um, those, are, those are resume virtues, right? What we really need are people, men and women, followers of Christ, who are working to develop eulogy virtues. Those, vu- those virtues that people are going to talk about when your life is over, right? What are people going to remember about you? The big house? Yeah, that would be kind of sad, I think, right? I have to look here at Luke, right? I can't, I can't talk about this and not think about Luke 10, 25 through 28. So let's, let's flip there on your Bible app or if you're at home and you have your Bible. A lawyer, just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, Jesus said to him, You've given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. You know what I love about that passage is the simplicity, right? Love your neighbor. And if you keep reading there in chapter 10, what's the next thing Jesus talks about? The lawyer says, wait, 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 wait. Who's my neighbor? We've got to define this. And what story does Jesus turn to? What does he tell? The parable of the Good Samaritan, right? In, in this time, the Samaritans were like, the Jews thought it was their duty to hate Samaritans. And he talks about this Good Samaritan who was willing to help, didn't have any enemies, right? There are no enemies. There are no people that you shouldn't help. Everyone is our neighbor. Uh, we could flip to Galatians 5. Paul echoes this exact same thought in Galatians. Paul's talking about being free in Christ and what it looks like to live a life of freedom and a life filled with the Spirit. In Galatians 5.14, For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what's Paul talk about next? Here's what it looks like to live a life of freedom filled by the Spirit. He talks about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, Peace, 
patience, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that we're going to see poured out in our lives if we are living that mission. So imperfect people leveraging everything for those far from Jesus. It's a pretty big statement, but I think there's a lot of simplicity there. I didn't say it was easy, right? I want to be very clear on that. Simple does not mean easy. But I think we're called to be the presence of Jesus to those around us, right? If I were to try to say it another way, the presence of Jesus to those around us. What's that look like? Well, it could be how do you handle frustration at work? And I'll be one of the first imperfect people to say, don't look at me as an example of that. It could be how you stand in line at Walmart. Just this morning before I came here, I went to City Market uh, to grab our groceries for the week and also just kind of wanted to see the chaos. And I was standing there, and, and there's a, a younger lady in front of me, and in front of her is an older woman, and this older woman is just sitting there pouring out to this other lady just all her concerns and her fears and her worry. And I got to watch just this morning an example of this. That younger lady stood there and listened to her and tried to speak comforting words to her. And I don't know if she was a Christian, but she sure modeled the presence of Jesus as she stood in line right there at City Market and tried to speak words of hope and comfort. It could be how you react on a long day of travel when your flight's canceled, right? It could be how you react to that driver in front of you who doesn't take off as soon as the light turns green. Guilty of that one. It also could be who you invite over for a meal, who you invite over to your home for game night. Maybe not this week. Um, Who are you making time for in your life? Who are you spending time around? Another another thing I just want to read you. I I read this um, yesterday, and I just thought, oh, there it is again. Frederick Buechner in The Magnificent Defeat says this. For while we all need to know, of course, is not just that God exists, not just that beyond the steely brightness of the stars, there's a cosmic intelligence of some kind that keeps the whole show going, but that there is a God right here in the thick of our day-to-day lives who may or may not be writing messages about himself in the stars, but who, in one way or another, is trying to get messages through our blindness as we move around down here, knee-deep, in the fragrant muck and misery and marvel of this world. It is not objective proof of God's existence that we want, but whether we use religious language or not, the experience of God's presence, that's what we want. That's what we want to be. We want to be the experience of God's presence to those people you're around every day. Again, this vision is huge, but I think it's simple, but not easy. This morning as I close out, I want to share one other thing with you. Um, my wife bought this book. Uh, it's called Every Holy Moment. And it's a book of liturgies. We don't, we don't read a lot of liturgies here at Grace. But uh, this one's too good not to share because it's so appropriate for our times. So, again, as we, as we find ourselves in this odd situation, as we find ourselves in this odd place in the world, I want to share for you a liturgy for those flooded by too much information. In a world so wired and interconnected, our anxious hearts are pummeled by an endless barrage of troubling news. We are daily aware of more grief, O Lord, than we can rightly consider, of more suffering and scandal than we can respond to, 
of more hostility, hatred, horror, and injustice than we can engage with compassion. But you, O Jesus, are not disquieted by such news of cruelty and terror and war. You are neither anxious nor overwhelmed. You carried the full weight of suffering of a broken world when you hung upon the cross, and you carry it still. When the cacophony of universal distresses unsettles us, remind us that we are but small and finite creatures, never designed to carry the vast abstractions of great burdens, for our arms are too short and our strength is too small. Justice and mercy, healing and redemption are your great labors. And yes, it is your good pleasure to accomplish such works through your people, but you have never asked any one of us to undertake more than your grace will enable us to fulfill. Guard us then from shutting down our empathy or walling off our hearts because of the glut of unactionable misery that floods our awareness. You have many children in many places around this globe. Move each of our hearts to compassionately respond to those needs that intersect our actual lives. That in all places, your body might be actively addressing the pain and brokenness of this world, each of us liberated and empowered by your spirit to fulfill the small part of your redemptive work assigned to us. Give us discernment in the face of troubling news reports. Give us discernment to know when to pray, when to speak out, when to act, and when to simply shut off our screens and our devices and to sit quietly in your presence, casting the burdens of this world upon the strong shoulders of the one who alone is able to bear them up. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you do have many children around this world, around this globe. I love the words we just heard in this eulogy. I pray that you would move our hearts to know how to compassionately respond to those needs that intersect our actual lives. Father, don't let us be caught up in the grandness and the overwhelmingness of this world, of your redemptive work. Father, give us the power and the strength through your spirit to trust that you are doing the work and that the work is already done. And that, Father, your words and your promises to us are true so that we can live with a great hope. Father, in these dark, disturbing, confusing times, make us a light to shine in the darkness around us. Father, may our transparency, may the way we live give others hope. Father, may the way we share give each other's hope, give other people hope. Maybe it show people our love. Father, that's our prayer, that they will know we love you because we love those in the world. Father, we thank you again just for the chance to be together today, even virtually, just, just to think about this morning how we can live and be your presence in the world. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.